0: This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit RedemptionAZ.com. With all that in mind, can we stand together because I'm going to read quickly through Acts chapter 8 verses 1 through 25. And I'm going to tell you this, if you missed last week's sermon, Pastor Wayne literally dropped the mic when he was done he had to rip it off his head but he did drop the mic it was really really good powerful sermon uh and I, I will say uh he read through 70 verses and as we were standing together i thought to myself i loved that we go to a church that stands and reads 70 verses of scripture because you were most people like go to church and you're lucky if you hear one right uh, but we, we we love God's word, and we want to read and hear His word. And we're going to read twenty five verses today, starting in verse one. Remember, this is his word. And Saul approved of his ex- execution, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And there were, all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house, and he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed them the Christ. And the crowds with the with one accord paid attention to what he was What was being said by Philip when he heard him and saw the signs that he did for unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many people who had them and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him, and at least uh, the least and the greatest. The man is this man is powerful. Is the power of God that is called great? And they paid attention to him because for a long time had amazed them with magic. But when they believed, Philip, as he preached good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them. Peter and John who had come down and prayed uh, for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, and they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of hands by the apostles, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power, so that anyone whom I lay my hands on receives the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter for your heart is not right before God repent therefore for this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that if possible the intent of your heart may be forgiven you for I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity and Simon answered pray for me that the Lord that that the Lord that nothing pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now when he had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Drop the mic. <laughs> now listen, I, I feel bad for the first service because, uh, uh, because I learned from them. They, they're like the guinea pigs. I got a lot to cover, and so I thought I had so much time that I just... Lollygagged through this first part, so we're going to run. Okay, so let's jump in together. I want you to remember, and I'm not going to spend too much time in review, that Acts chapter one verse eight is kind of the thesis is of you, if you will, of Acts. Right? It's this: Jesus is with his disciples, and he's been he's been resurrected, and he's ascending back to be with his Father, and he's speaking to his disciples, and they're saying, "Oh, when are you coming back?" You know, as he's floating up into the clouds, "When are you coming back?" And he said, "Listen, it's not for you to know the time." of the seasons by which I'm coming back. Basically saying, don't sit around and keep your eyes gazed up into the sky waiting for me to return. But he says, you will receive power, verse 8, when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. And what we've been seeing is the unfolding of what the resurrected Jesus, seated at the right hand of the Father, has promised will take place. That his church will be his witnesses in Judea. And what we're seeing happening right now is that In Jerusalem and that gospel is being spread to now this first we see the spreading of it Judea and Samaria through Philip and through Stephen and through the The validation of the Apostles what we're seeing is the spreading of this gospel what we notice as we're trekking through hopefully is that as this unfolding of the ministry of the resurrected Jesus happens there's certain markers that you must highlight and hopefully you hear this thread as we're going through all of these texts. One is that the gospel is for all peoples. I'm going to say that again. Hopefully you'll say amen. The gospel is for all peoples. Thank you, church. Amen. We are those all peoples. That we have not just been secluded to one race now or one elite people, but that the gospel through Christ has been opened up to all peoples. We saw that even as the seven were being appointed. That the apostles raised up these men and their nationalities were also being mentioned with them. Now these Greek men, these Hellenistic Jews, these men are, are now filled with the spirit and wisdom and they're taking this gospel to the ends of the earth. And that these people are Marked by the Spirit. And when I say marked by the Spirit, here's where you see the Spirit markers. You see it in the unity of the church, that all peoples are coming together, fellowshipping. That it's not their commonality of likeness of music and likeness of racial things. It's not those things that we usually have in common that we think bring us together. It's the Spirit of God that brings all peoples together. Thank you for that, amen. You see it in the bold proclamation that they boldly proclaim Jesus. They boldly proclaim that Jesus is alive and he's still at work. And the spirits work in this bold proclamation. And, and this is where some of us struggle, because we can do the bold proclamation, but we struggle with and the signs and wonders. Because I'm going to tell you this. Not only did he validate it in word, he validated it through his spirit doing miracles amongst his people. God is alive and at work not just in word but indeed he is at work powerfully changing healing demonstrating that he is alive and powerfully at work and you see these markers happening now Philip is a continuation of this now this is not the Apostle Philip this is as theologians have titled him the evangelist Philip Philip the evangelist this is one of the seven right this is one of the seven who has a Greek name so his nationality is kind of mentioned he's one of the minorities that have now raised up into leadership and remember what he was anointed for what were the seven anointed for for the feeding of the widows and So that the apostles could do what they're gifted at, right? Prayer and proclamation of God's word. The interesting thing is you would think like you wouldn't hear of those seven anymore because their jobs was just kind of doing things that the apostles didn't want to do. But that's not what happens. What you see is these men are doing the exact same work. That the apostles were doing. Preaching. Proclaiming. Feeding. Caring for the church. And you see Philip, this evangelist, walking into town. Right? Based on the sovereignty of God, you see the continued movement of the Spirit. You've got to see that. That the Spirit moves by the sovereignty of this resurrected Jesus, the sovereignty of God, and here's what he uses. He uses bold proclamations, signs and wonders, and then we don't like how God spreads the gospel because often it's attached to persecution of the church. That the gospel spreads because people are being persecuted and they get pushed out to the ends of the earth. And you see this persecution taking place. And so he goes and walks into town. And Philip goes into Samaria, not just to run from, you got to notice this, persecution. He takes it as God sending me. And he goes into Samaria and Judea and he begins to proclaim to crowds. And you can see it in verses four through eight. This dude comes into town and he starts to proclaim Christ crowds start paying attention. People are listening. Signs and wonders are being done. Unclean spirits, demons are being cast out. People are crying out with a loud voice. Paralyzed, lame people are being healed. And I love this line, because Philip comes into town, there was great joy in that city. Oh, would that be the testimony of the church? That Because God's power and spirit is working through his people. Oh, would there be great joy in our city. But you see this movement of the spirit that brings great joy. Notice not only is the marking of an evangelist what we think of. Because we think in our own kind of terms, Western as we read the word evangelist and immediately our minds go to a guy on tv maybe with wavy hair lots of makeup uh and 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 does miracle signs and wonders attached to taking a really good offering right like at the end going hey if you want this send your love gift in right and we think that's an evangelist travels around does big crusades national work all over the world you would think man that's what philip was doing but what philip has is about Three or four verses of crowd work, and I'm not saying preaching to crowds is not the work of the evangelist, but you see two really good illustrations of him not just preaching to crowds, but preaching one on one. Next week, we're going to talk about the eunuch. This week, we talk about uh, Simon the sorcerer. One on one proclamation that you see happen. If someone has uh, the Spirit of God dwelling in them and they're a bold evangelist, they're not just looking for crowds, they preach the gospel wherever they go, right? It's not just about putting on a show it's about this authentic reality of going It's a give me one person wherever the spirit leads me put me in front of a crowd I'm going to talk about jesus right and we're going to see him move This is who philip is also you're going to see philip in verse tw- in chapter 21 when all four of his daughters prophesy in chapter 21 philip is one of those seven we're gonna see him more moving but then there's also another guy and I'm trying to move quickly there's another character that rises up that kinda takes center stage and it's this guy named Simon who some call Simon the sorcerer he's marked by he used to do magic tricks he used to do sorcery but everybody in this town from the least to the greatest knew this guy he was popular right he was known Paparazzi's were after him. Everybody, wherever he goes, people know who Simon the Sorcerer is, and he was powerful. He had money, he had popularity, he had tricks, he did deception, he used all of the tricks in the bag, and everybody knew him. Listen to this guy's nickname. He puts every rapper nickname to shame. Here's his nickname This man is the power of God. This is called great. This man is the power of God, this is called great. This is his name, quotes, in quotes. Everybody says, this man is the power of God who is great, right? Sounds like a name Jesus would give to himself, right? This is the, this is... Who everybody knows, everybody wants to be. This is the one who has power, popularity, money, everything. And he sees Philip coming into the town. And he's not just going after crowds. People are being hit. And he can see. Simon can see. What he's doing is not tricks of deception. What he's doing is authentic work. I don't even, I, I don't even know, have a category for it. He believes and is baptized. And follows Simon around because he's blown away by the work that's being done so this is where we're at well then all of a sudden what happens is this kind of turn of events that struggles with a lot of theologians and even a lot of our own minds the apostles hear of what's happening in jerusalem or what's happening in judea and samaria because they're still in jerusalem and they send peter and john now notice this line they send Peter and John and what they why are they coming and why is Peter and John being sent they came to pray that they might receive the what the holy spirit For he had not yet fallen on them yet. And now this is where a lot of problems start coming into our minds. Because if you're starting to think, if you really just start putting two and two together, everybody starts questioning, oh no, he's going to talk about baptism of the Holy Spirit, second working, all these kinds of things. But the reality is what we think of when we think of the baptism of the Holy Spirit or second working gets so convoluted that we can't even see the beauty and the wonder of what we're getting to receive. And let let me tell you why. Because if you look at what we think of when we think of the baptism of the Holy Spirit or second working, in our minds or in charismatic world, if you were raised in that church or people who kind of watch it on TV and go, that's just a bunch of bogus, right? Whatever it is, or my life, I was raised in that, kind of brought up in that, and there was this thing called the second working of the Spirit. And often that second working in most charismatic circles or Pentecostal circles is marked by speaking in tongues. So saying, if you have the Spirit, here's how you know you've received the Spirit, is by speaking in tongues. And then other side goes, well now that's just bogus. Like that's not true. The Spirit's gone. You don't, you know, that's You get it all at salvation. It's all that. So there's this debate that starts to come around. And mostly because we call it a second working, which scripture doesn't call it a second working. It's, 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 it's totally different. And here's, here's the reason why. Because I want you to notice They say they're going to come and they haven't received the Spirit. But just put in your own mind, why have they not received the Spirit? Listen to what's happening in that town. People are being healed. People are being saved. Miracles are being done. People are being baptized. Like they're having straight out revival and saying the Spirit hasn't fallen there. Most of us in our mind think... You can't see the spirit moving because you don't see miracles, signs, wonders, power, all these kinds of things. We attach this to kind of a powerful gift. Like they're just having a bunch of people say, but they're not having miracles. So they need the spirit. No, that's not what's happening here. Right? This is not what's taking place there. And it causes a lot of doubt or struggle in our minds because what ends up happening is people start asking questions like, well, if I need to have the Spirit because I haven't received the Spirit, does that mean I didn't get the Spirit when I first got saved? So you start asking questions Does that mean I don't already have the Spirit? Or, Does that mean I need the baptism of the Spirit or the falling of the Spirit? Do I need the Spirit in order to have salvation? So we start asking questions that the text is not even asking. Or we start saying, well, once I get the spirit, then finally am I saved? And check, check, I've, I've got the second, so I don't need the spirit anymore. Like, is that what you're saying? Like, what is going on here, and what is this second working thing, if we will? And, and here's where I want to take off the table. I want to take off the table second working, right? Because here's, here's what I don't want us to do is go one, two, check, check, we're done. Here's what I want us to hear, right? Every time that I go to my wife, right, who is my wife, and tell her i love you she doesn't go does that mean you didn't love me before does that mean we're not married does that mean you didn't you know do you get what i'm saying i'm reaffirming i'm deepening the work that's already been done I'm not questioning whether we're not married or not. Something deep is happening. Something authentic is happening. Something re, a re-baptism, if you will. A re into something I'm already in, right? It's not this, does that mean it's not happening? Does it mean it's not real? Does it mean it's not... It's not this reality. There's something that's taking place. It's powerful. What is this? Well, notice this every time the spirit comes in acts or in any part of scripture the spirit is always for two things write these two things down validation and representation validation and representation or if you want to uh get different uh words it's to authenticate and authorize authenticate and authorize it's these two things that take place when the spirit comes: validation and representation here's what i mean by that What is happening in Judea and Samaria is already happening. People are being saved. Power is happening. Things are happening in this town. And the apostles are hearing it and going, we are the ones who have received the baptism of the Spirit. We're the ones who have been with Jesus. And what we're going to do is go and validate the work that is being done there and we're going to authenticate it so that everybody in that town knows these are our people. They're anointed, and they are representing us in this town and in this city. Notice this. When Jesus comes into the earth, I could use creation, but I'm, I'm running, I'm running. There's so many other examples. Jesus comes to the earth. He's born in flesh. Is He the Son of God when He's born in flesh? Okay. Okay. So why did it take 30 years before he ever went out and did miracles, signs, wonders? Like the only time that he was asked at a wedding, "Hey, you, could you turn the water into wine?" He said something weird although he did it. He said, "It's not my time yet. I'm waiting for something." What was he waiting for? The Spirit. Does that mean he he wasn't the son? Does that mean he didn't have the spirit? Did that mean it wasn't there? No, he wasn't even asking those questions. He was waiting for what? At baptism, when he goes under the water, he comes up out of the water, a dove comes down, which is what? The spirit falls upon him and he hears the voice of his father say, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. That's what? Validation. He leaves that place and goes immediately into the desert and comes out through the testing and persecution and says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me and he has anointed me to preach the gospel, to do works, to proclaim to the healing, to set free the captives. Jesus didn't say, what, God, you never loved me before? I wasn't your son before? No, it was validation and it was representation. From that point, there was this public validation. This is my boy. This is my son. And there was this public proclamation and this outward working, right? It was, you are my representation. And you see this going all the way through scriptures. The apostles, he said, did that, when when Jesus resurrected, he breathed on them and said, receive ye the spirit. But then he says, I want you to wait in the upper room for what? The spirit. Does that mean they didn't have the spirit? Did that mean they weren't the apostles? Does that mean, like you're asking all questions that have nothing to do, wait for validation and when it comes you will burst out in the streets and you will do signs and miracles and boldness will come and here's what ends up happening when we start talking about the spirit we start talking about the spirit's gifts and the spirit's power we start saying if i if i have the spirit i speak in tongues or i do these miracles i do this they're not asking this because they're already doing this They're already having miracles and signs. They're already walking it. The spirit coming was to validate it. It's like if I come up to Wes and say, hey, bro, you are an elder in this church. And all the elders lay hands on him and say, he's an elder. It doesn't mean he never had the gift of an elder. It doesn't mean he never walked as an elder. We're just validating what he already's doing. Right? We're already anointing, we're already laying hands, and then everybody in this room who sees us lays hand on Him goes, He's a representation of the elders. There's validation for Him. I'm one. There's representation. Now, when we attach the Spirit to just power, what ends up happening is we often start chasing the power of the Spirit, and we don't want the person of the Spirit. And this is what happens to Simon. Simon sees the apostles coming into town and sees that they can lay hands and say, receive the Spirit. Receive the validation and be a representation in the world. And what he wants is that power, but he doesn't want that person. And this is what happens in the world that we live in. We see people who have packaged the power of the Spirit and are selling it to the church because it's easier to buy it with money than it is in covenant to wait, to trust, to receive. We'd rather put our money together and buy the Spirit than we would rather be submitted to and dependent on and in need of. Here's what happens. When you can say, I sowed a seed and bought this power, you're going to package that and sell it to everybody else. Do what I did and you'll get what I got. Simon knew how to make a name for himself. He knew how to be powerful. He knew how to be popular. And what he wanted was that. And he saw a new way to get to that. He didn't want the spirit. He wanted the power. What the apostles were coming for was to lay hands on, to validate. And what you end up seeing take place is this authentication. This is where we butt heads with a text like this. Because if you are kind of in this with Simon, you're going, uh, at the end of it, the text leaves it wide open. Like they... Peter starts digging at the heart and he goes, listen, uh, in, in, in really bold terms, Peter goes, you can't buy the spirit. You can't buy the spirit. And then he says, I notice that your heart is full of bitterness and pride. Like he starts calling out heart level things, right? I'm telling you, that's a work of the spirit to start revealing the undercover heart stuff. He starts uncovering the heart. And then he turns and says to Peter, "Please pray that these things won't come on to me." And leaves it wide open. You never know if Simon repents. You never know if he's actually a son or if he's not a son. You don't know if he's saved or not. You, like people have wrestled with this for a long time. Theologians have like, I don't know if he is. He might be. Ugh. They would wrestle with, and the reason why we wrestle with texts like this. And get caught into the weeds of things like this. Rather than asking the question, why does Luke leave this open-ended? He leaves it open-ended so that we, the reader, can pause and ask the question, why do we want the Spirit? Do we want the power? Or do we want the person? Because the person of the Spirit goes where he wants and does what he wants He blows like the wind. He comes when he wants to come. He does what he wants to do. He is a sovereign God, a part of the Godhead. This spirit is not just reduced down to a power that you can control. You can't control the spirit. The spirit goes away. The spirit's not for sale, meaning you can't buy him and the spirit is not for your work you can't make him do what you want him to do you see it begs the question for us why do we want the spirit because i've heard many of us maybe not offer to buy it but maybe we've made promises god i'll really follow you if you'll just come and change this for me If you'll fix my marriage, I'll really go all out for you. You've started bargaining chips with God. God, I'll really start tithing if you pay these bills. I'll really start giving this time, I promise. You take care of me here, I'm going to be faithful here. I'm going to do this once you start doing this. And we move into contractual relationship real quick with God. We start moving around bargaining chips. God, take care of my stuff and I'll give you what you want I'll buy this from you, or even we'll go to men of God who have fallen into this trap. I'm telling you, just think of Peter standing there being offered a lot of money. That's a temptation. You just want me to give you the power of the Spirit for money? I'm telling you, there's a lot of preachers who could fall into that. People trying to package something Make it contractual. What is it? Do we want our marriage fixed? Do we want our bodies healed? Do we want Him to build a ministry or make us famous? Do we want us to be seen as powerful and we want everybody coming to us so that we can lay hands on Him? What is the motive for why you want the Spirit? Because the Spirit Himself is something that we need and a person that we we need to be filled with and consumed with. We need the very breath of God. We need the validation and we need to be his representation in the world. But I'm going to tell you this. Just because you desire the spirit. Just because you desire the spirit doesn't mean you desire him for the right reasons. There are so many people who have built their lives for so long on being known as a person. Who wanted to preach and see people saved. Who wanted to see people healed. And I would spend my life for the first part of my whole ministry telling people, this is what I want. I want to see people saved and healed. I want to see them receive the Spirit. But the reality of deep into my heart, and I'm going to tell you who revealed this to me. The Father, the Spirit, opened my eyes to realize I didn't want none of that. I wanted a big church, lots of money popularity. And it was by God's grace that he opened my eyes to show me that it is by his grace. I can't purchase it. I can't earn it. I can't work to deserve it. It's only by his grace that I can be his child. And it's only by his power that I can live as his child. One thing we talk about when we talk about the gospel is we talk about that we've been adopted in as children, right? What Christ has done is he's come into the world and he's paid the price for all of us who were far off, trapped in sin he's taken on himself the burden of our sin and he's brought us into the family but if there's anything you know or 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 even just imagine or watch tv shows you can kind of imagine this someone who's been adopted struggles with something and what is that feeling like they actually are children of that family Why? Because they need to find their true father, their true mother in order to find who they are. And so they're on this hunt to try to find themselves in their true father. Yeah, I know you paid for for me. I know you've provided for me. I know you've taken care of me, but you're not my parents. I want to find my parents. Someone who's adopted and just focuses on adoption and knows that they're adopted is trying to find validation and identity in something outside of their adopted parents because they're looking for their true parents. Someone who is, has the DNA of a parent. They have, they have, that's my kid. See, Kairos, that's my boy, right? He knows that. He doesn't have to question, is that my dad? He never has to struggle with validation of that. But there could be something else he could struggle with. And that is being a representation of our family to the world. Especially if he starts thinking about, I want to be my own. I don't want to carry on the family name. I want to be my own person. I want to have my own name. I want to be my own great person. And he wants, he doesn't have my spirit. He has my name, but he doesn't have my spirit. He doesn't want to carry on that representation. The reality of what the Spirit does for those who are adopted into the family is what happens is you come in and you're constantly wondering, am I really a part of this family? But when the Spirit is blown into you, what ends up happening is you realize the one who has adopted you is actually your true Father. You have His blood, His DNA, His life, His Spirit lives in you. You are not just adopted, He is in you. His spirit lives in you. His blood is throw, flowing through your veins. He has not just made you and purchased you where you got to look other places to find who you truly are. Only in him he is truly the one who's created you, formed you, knitted you together, made you. He really is your father and it's not just he purchased you, he's in you, living through you by your spirit. He validates those who are adopted and the other thing that happens for those who who are a part of his family and those who understand who we are the adopted all nations all people coming in is he shows us that it's not about us and making a name for ourselves being a part of this family is about being his representation in the world that when people see us they see our father that we have the same spirit And that's why these proclamations and these miracles and these signs, because people can see that God is our Father. What do we end up seeing taking place? We see in this text, the apostles come to validate and that they would represent them in Judea and Samaria, that this ongoing work would continue to spread. You see this working of the Spirit, but it also leads us to this this place. Many of you in this room are constantly struggling with, how do I know if I'm a child of God? How do I know? Am I really his kid? Does he really love me? And you're begging for somebody to answer that for you. Just pray for me like Simon did. Pray for me that I'll receive mercy like you don't even believe. Like so many of you show your closeness to God because you don't even think you have access. you got to call somebody else to access the Father because you can't talk to Him, just like Simon. You haven't had that sense of, am I His? And much of that has to do with, you know that most of your life is spent thinking about and building a name for yourself and going after your own glory and fame, pursuing money, pursuing popularity, you're after something totally different. And you're struggling with, am I truly a son or a daughter? And what we need to hear is this. Not that you need just a second working, but you need a deeper working of the Spirit in your life. You need to cry out to the Father to pour His Spirit into you to know, to know I'm his child, we are his people. And when that happens, it breaks from it just being about us, and then we also start to realize it's not about me building a name for myself and doing these works, but that it's about me being his representation in the world, and that God, the the Father by his Spirit, is going to send me to be his representation in the world. He's not only going to validate me, he's going to put me on with it. The sign that the Spirit falls every time, because people go, well, how do I know if I have the Spirit? Is it speaking in tongues? Well, that doesn't happen every time. Is it pro- prophecy? That doesn't happen every time. The thing that happens every time the Spirit falls in Scripture is their boldness to be witnesses in the world. And those gifts and those signs are a part of that boldness that we get to be bold witnesses bold proclamation bold examples of what it means to live who our father is some of us need to ask today lord break me open because i'm spending so much time focusing on myself Break me open to live for you, to represent you in this world, to to be a reflection of your kingdom to those around you, to boldly proclaim, to pray for, to see others come to know and follow you. Use me however you want to use me. It's not about me grabbing a hold of you to do what I want to do, but God, whatever you want to do in me, pour your spirit into me and use me. Use me for your glory. Use me for your purpose. This, church, is why we should ask that the Spirit would come upon us. Not so we can control Him. Not so that we can make Him do what we want Him to do. Not so that we can have Him to kind of show off. And not so that we can have Him to package Him and sell Him off to somebody else. But we should ask our Father, who is good, pour out your Spirit upon us. Why? Because He's a good Father. Listen to what Luke chapter 11, as the band comes and we sing. Luke chapter 11, 9 through 13. Listen to this, church, and then we're going to sing. So I say to you, this is Jesus speaking, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receive. And he who seeks, finds. And him who knocks, it will be open. If a son... That word, that's family. If a child, if a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give what? Good gifts to your children. How much more will the heavenly Father give The Holy Spirit to those who ask. You know why you can't buy the Spirit? Because it's a gift. Given because you have a Father who gives you the very validation and sends you to represent Him in this world. Breaks you open for the serving of the world around you. What does that mean for us? Two things. One, we need to ask the Spirit to show us what our motives are for wanting the Spirit. We need to ask Him to show us, is there anything wicked or anything in us? Help me to repent. Ask the Spirit, because that's the Spirit's work. Second, what we need to do is ask the Father to give us His Spirit, because church, we need His Spirit. we 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 need His Spirit. We need to know that we are His children, and we need to represent Him in this world. And if anyone is a follower of Christ, they know that without the Spirit, I cannot know who I am, and I cannot do what I'm called to do without the Spirit. I have to have His Spirit. I have to have it. So today as we sing this song, it's your breath in my lungs, so I pour out my praise. We're saying, it's your spirit that validates and gives me life, and I'm going to pour that out for the good of those around me. As we're singing that, there's two things that are going to happen. We're going to pray, and we're going to take communion. But here's what I want to emphasize. If you need elders or deacons to pray with you, to ask God to come to move in your life, we'll be over there to pray with you. Or if you want to pray with someone around you to pray together, spend time in prayer asking God to reveal to you your heart. And then in that time, when you're ready, come to the table. While we're singing this song, come to the table, partake in communion. Let's take the last... 10 minutes of our time together and just focus on responding and asking and letting the Spirit search our hearts. Let's be open and respectful. Can we stand together? Father, I ask that today as we come together as your people, Father, would we respond in prayer? Would we cry out for your Spirit to fall upon us? And would you by your Spirit validate that we are your children? Show us God, that we are not just adopted into your family, but we are your children and that you have a work for us to do we admit together together we admit we need your spirit we need your spirit we need your spirit we We cannot do it without you we won't know who we are and we won't know what we're called to do we ask these things in your name jesus and everybody said you can sing you can pray with others if you need prayer from elders or deacons you can come up here and the communion tables are open.